0: Welcome to Season 5 of Ye Old Dragons Library, the storytelling podcast. Each episode this season will be a chapter from the second book in the Enchanted Castle archives, The Beastly Beauty. In Season 1, our heroine, Ash, was warned multiple times to stay away from the Enchanted Castle, and if she ever saw it coming toward her, to run. Now, she finds the enchanted castle, or, perhaps more accurately, it finds her. Will prophecy come true? Can she escape when she finds out the truth of Cecil's warning that every castle wants a princess? Listen and find out. Chapter 11 Why are you gathered there, she asked, to gain time to think. "'Lost, stolen, abused, worn out, hidden. "'So much magic has seeped into the air and soil and stone. "'It grows, and we are alive,' the knife said. "'You will take me home, won't you? "'I'm so lonely for my friends. "'A magpie found me and tried to take me to his nest, "'but I was too heavy. "'He left me in the crotch of a tree, "'and I've been sitting there in the rain and wind and sunshine, "'waiting. "'I miss my family.' I despaired when the tree branch broke in a storm, but then the bunny found me and agreed to bring me to you. "'I'll see what I can do,' Ash said. "'I'm trying to find my way home, too. I'm waiting until the portal back to my home opens again.' "'Oh, Izalova knows all about portals,' the knife chirped, sounding eager and delighted. "'You can take me home and she'll help you.' "'Who is Izalova?' "'The mirror.' Ash knew she was tired, because her mind snagged on the way the knife said, The Mirror, as if there was only one magic mirror in the enchanted castle. No, if magical items were being collected in the castle, Logic said there would be more than one magic mirror. Maybe she was the leader of the mirrors? Maybe she was the node for the magic mirror communication web? Magic mirrors weren't exactly rare, but they weren't common either. Kings and enchanters and the heads of collegiums had them, to share news and give information and advice. Sometimes war leaders carried smaller magic mirrors into battle, to communicate with their scattered troops and battalions, and with the country's leaders, safely back home behind high stone walls. Please, she said on a sigh. Her head ached, and she felt a little dizzy from the effort of thinking, I'm so very tired. "'Would you mind if we discuss this in the morning? I don't want to travel in the darkness, anyway.' "'Very wise,' the knife said. "'Yes, thank you. You're very kind to take me home. I know everyone will want to help you.' "'In the morning,' Ash said, and put the knife down where it glinted in the firelight. She had a sudden fear that her head was so fuzzy she would agree to something that would get her into trouble. "'Fang, can you check on the portal? Wake me if it changes?' He bobbed his head and hopped over next to her blankets to pat her shoulder. As she closed her eyes, she saw him bend down, pick up the knife, and hop out of the firelight. Ash's last thought before the softly swirling darkness pulled her down into sleep was to hope he lost the knife during his rambles in the darkness. Ash woke three times and each time rolled over onto her back to wriggle out from under the overhang of the rock and study the stars. They never changed. She wondered if they were still there in the same positions during the day, but invisible because of the stronger light. She fell asleep the third time, contemplating how she could use the stars to navigate if she was forced to stay longer than a few days in the Enchanted Forest. She would eventually run out of food, meaning she had to set out to forage. Fang woke her when the sky had faded from deep purple shot with silver and pale blue stars to a silvery gray shot with pink and lavender stripes. He gestured toward the trail with ears and paws and hopped away. Ash snatched up her boots and followed, hopping several steps on each foot to put them on. She didn't bother tying the laces and feared tripping and falling flat on her face as she raced after him. The portal had changed. She was relieved to see the bundles of tree limbs hadn't moved during the night. She had half feared the magic that changed the portal would reach out far enough to affect them. That was the only good news. Now the portal was a pool inside a shadowy cave. Light glimmered at the bottom. Tiny wavelets disturbed the image, so she couldn't get a clear idea of how far away it was, how large or small it was, and how deep the pool was. Ash considered diving down, just once, to get an idea, but she had read too many stories about nasty creatures hiding in seemingly harmless, lovely, peaceful pools. Besides, until she knew where that pool would take her, what kingdom, why should she risk getting trapped somewhere far away from her horse and supplies? Thank you, Fang. She stepped back, past the tree limb markers, and considered her sense of time's passage, I think maybe twelve hours passed since the last change, maybe a little more. The question is, do we wait here, watching until the next change, and hope it's back to the roses? Or do we go exploring, find the other portals? She caught her breath as another thought came to her. Maybe there are only a few portals, but the openings move around, like the hands of a clock going to different places here in the forest. Philby's map had ten spots— so if I sat here waiting, I'd have to wait five days for the roses to appear here again, when I might be able to find them somewhere else, sooner. Ash gnawed on that thought as she headed back to her camp and brought out some trail bread and cheese for breakfast. She would save the cold-cooked fish for another meal. Garin wickered and nudged her shoulder when she loosed his halter from the brambles and led him up the bank to where grass and tender plants offered good eating "'Ash imagined he was thanking her. "'It would be convenient if you could talk to me,' she murmured. "'I know ten rings and five crowns and three necklaces and sixteen belts that can do that for you,' a chiming voice called. "'Ash turned around twice, looking for the speaker. "'Did the sound come from somewhere on her?' "'Memory returned as she patted herself, feeling a little panicky, and found the little gold knife tucked in one of the inner pockets of her vest. "'How it got there.' She couldn't imagine. Could the knife crawl? Or had Fang helped it? She decided she didn't want to know. "'It's not polite to climb up on people and ride them without being invited,' she said, after tossing aside a handful of other things that weren't exactly polite. "'I'm sorry. The knife did sound rather contrite. But the air was cold and you are so nice and warm. I like being around people, touched by people. My sort like to be put to use.' Oh, really? And just how well does a knife made of gold cut anything? I wouldn't want to bend you or scratch you. Ash fought a choking sensation that might be laughter. She couldn't believe she was having this conversation with a knife. Oh, I don't cut things. Solid things, the knife hurried to add. I'm to be used in magic and for ceremonies, he sighed, and mostly for decoration. I miss my family. We're made to be a set, you know. "'Will you take me home today, please? "'Let me have my breakfast and neaten up the camp for the day, will you? "'Then we'll figure out where we are and what we should do. "'I want to keep an eye on that portal, "'so when it changes back to the one I came through, I can go home.' "'Oh, the mirror knows all about portals. "'She knows everything. "'You can ask her instead of sitting around and waiting.' "'The knife wriggled a little in her grasp, like an excited, eager child.' Ash nearly dropped him. Well, that answered that question of how he got into her pocket. Oh, that's good to know. Thank you. She started to put him back into her pocket, then decided she didn't want to feel him moving around there, and kept him in her hand as she went back down the bank to her camp. She ended up putting him on one of the flat rocks that surrounded her dying fire, and tried not to look at him as she settled down to eat. Fang curled up in the shade cast by her cloak and went to sleep. She felt somewhat abandoned. She didn't like the idea of exploring the forest in the dark, but she couldn't ask Fang to hop around for very long in the daylight, even with the sloppy shelter of the shirt she had altered to cover him. She didn't want to stay here by the stream, waiting for the roses' tunnel to reappear, especially if that knife kept asking her to take it home. Not that the knife kept asking her. It waited politely, silently, as she ate and then shook out her blankets and folded them neatly and arranged her belongings in the shelter of the rock. Ash pulled out her socks and underthings and swished them through the water and wrung them out several times, and then hung them on the brambles that streamed down one side of the rock overhang to dry in the sunshine. The longer the silence from the knife lasted, the more guilty she felt for making him wait. Then she remembered... She couldn't hear him unless she was touching him. Her face warmed, and she hoped she wasn't too red. She picked him up, even though she didn't want to pick him up. The sooner she got him home, the better. At least, she hoped so. "'I'm sorry for leaving you alone so long,' she began. "'Oh, my lady, don't be!' The knife-trilled laughter that made his blade twinkle and his handle vibrate, tickling her hand. "'The last person I talked to was so frightened, he threw me into the bushes.' I was there for a very long time. It's just lucky that it doesn't snow here in the enchanted forest. At least, outside the reach of the portals, it doesn't snow. Whatever weather is on the other side of the portal, that's the weather that touches the forest for a few paces on this side of the portal. I did have to wait through months of rain and animals stepping on me, and several magpies trying to carry me home to their stashes. Well, that doesn't sound very comfortable. She took a breath, trying to phrase what she said next so she wouldn't get herself trapped into some kind of bargain that would work against her. How many stories had she read about people making rash promises without realizing what those simple words implied, until it was too late to free themselves? She and Cecil had had several fascinating discussions of the perils of unwise wishes, not being specific when asking for something or speaking hopes and dreams that open doors better left shut. So, Knife, do you have a name? I feel rather rude just calling you Knife. The Ring preferred being called Ring, just because his name was hard to pronounce by flesh and blood. She sighed, with a brief, sharp ache of longing for her friend and mentor. Ash hoped he was at least able to listen and share her adventures, if not speak with her. How funny. I never thought about having a name. It's only been us in my set. I'm the butter knife. There is the big knife and the big fork and little fork and stirring spoon and porridge spoon. You don't have to worry about a name for me. I'll be with my family soon, and you don't want to have to pick us up constantly and talk to us, so I suppose it doesn't really matter. Oh, all right. If you don't mind, then. Ash shrugged. As I was going to say, Knife, "'How exactly do I get you home? "'How far into the castle do I need to take you? "'It seems to me you can move on your own, in a fashion. "'Do I just take you in through the door "'and you can find your way to your family from there? "'I don't want to be rude and go intruding on someone else's home without being invited. "'Is there someone there who can take you and put you with your family when we get there?' "'I don't really know.' "'It depends on what happened after the thieves got frightened and fled the castle "'and what kind of a mess they left behind,' the knife said. "'That didn't really answer her questions. "'Ash wanted to go into the enchanted castle even less than before. "'Is there anyone in the castle to help you? "'I mean, people, like me, with hands and feet?' "'Oh, no, but there are several suits of armor that can walk around when there is need.' to defend the castle, or close doors, or put new magical refugees in the storage rooms. You could put me on a table in the welcoming hall, and one of them could put me away, if the rest of my family is still there. No one else who can move? Ash wondered how quickly those suits of armor could move. She didn't have to go inside at night, so maybe that wouldn't be a problem. Some of the furniture, but they can't pick up things. Most things. Oh, And the books. They're very good at jumping off shelves and tumbling around, and they can fly and hit intruders when they need to. My family spent quite a lot of time in the library, and the books would make up dances, flying through the air and tumbling around the floor and jumping from shelves and tables. A library. Ash caught her breath and nearly laughed aloud. How had she forgotten? Friar Ipswich and Cecil and so many books had mentioned the library in the Enchanted Castle. Books about magic, and books that were magic. How had she forgotten her hopes of finding answers to her many dilemmas in a library large enough to contain those answers? If any place in the world could have the magic, the right spell to free the ring from his bonds of silence and give him back to her, and protect them from the purple sky magicians, "'certainly that place would be the Enchanted Castle's library.' "'Just as quickly as that thought came, "'she remembered all the warnings to avoid the castle. "'Perhaps she could earn some goodwill, "'returning the knife to his home and family, "'enough to protect her from whatever traps might fill the castle. "'Maybe with the knife as her guide, she could avoid those traps?' "'Ash looked at Fang, curled up, contentedly sleeping in the shadows.' He wasn't deeply enough asleep yet to snort and snore. "'Fang, would you mind going exploring with me? I might need you to protect me if there's trouble.' The bunny opened one eye, then the other. A slow, greedy, eager sort of smile lit his face, and he sat up. "'Thank you,' she thought for a moment, then held out the knife to him. "'Keep our friend company while I pull out your shirt. Ask him how to get to the castle?' Fang didn't hesitate to hop up to her and hold out both paws to take the knife. He chirped with what she hoped was eagerness and clasped the gold blade to his chest. We've come to a break in the story. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a book that you might be interested in reading. What does a marriage counselor who has never been in love have to do with a missing beauty queen with an ego problem? What do they have to do with a South American shapeshifter or an ice castle besieged by basilisks? They're all twists on the beauty and the beast story. Check out When Your Beauty Is the Beast thirteen stories that turn the fairy tale on its ear. When your beauty is the Beast Fairy Tale Anthology Number one Published by Ye Old Dragon Books in Paper and Ebook. And now back to the story. Ash tucked the knife in the top pocket of her vest on the outside. She had to have some sort of contact with him to hear him and have him direct her through the forest. Can you hear the song now? the knife asked, after they had walked for nearly half an hour. No, what song? She slowed her pace and turned her head, trying to locate whatever the knife was hearing. Fang stopped several paces ahead of her and looked back. "'Fang, do you hear a song?' He nodded, and pointed slightly to the right off the animal trail they had been following. "'Can you get us back to camp?' Another nod, and several gestures with his ears that made her think he was a little offended by her question. Maybe he thought she doubted his tracking abilities. "'What song?' she asked again. "'How far off is the castle?' When Fang hopped forward again, she followed even as something tightened inside her, warning her not to leave the trail. Close! The knife wriggled a little, making her glad again she had put him in an outside pocket. Now can you hear it? he asked. What song? The castle sings, calling me home. Ash supposed that made sense. She wondered just what it was that allowed Fang to hear the song, but not her. The stars on breastbone and buttocks were gone, So did that mean whatever blocked her magic had been removed by entering the Enchanted Forest? Yet, if that was true, did that mean her inborn magic could finally start to bloom? Did it mean she was hobbled now by reduced sensitivity to magic at work, temporarily deafened? If she lingered in the forest, would she eventually start to hear the castle sing? Was it safe to hear the castle sing? Then she stepped around a cluster of vines wrapping around something tall that she had an awful suspicion wasn't a tree, and all her questions died before they were clear in her head. Her first impression was of seeing through water, studying something sitting in the bottom of one of the rare glass goblets Lady Beatrice prized. The air around the castle seemed to curve, and the trees and even small lumps of upturned soil were flattened and pressed aside. No, she decided, after another twenty or so steps closer. There was no seemed about it. She had wondered how the castle could move without leaving a trail of destruction in its wake, but now she understood, though she didn't want to twist her brain around the concepts too closely. Everything around the castle, in the place where they had been, was pressed outward and compressed to make room. How quickly did the trees and ground, and perhaps even animals, resume their normal shapes and positions after the castle had passed? She didn't want to see, afraid she might be sick. For all she knew, the castle left permanently flattened and compressed plants and animals in its wake. If it had a dungeon, was there a deep trench in its wake, like the trail of slime left by an enormous, poisoned kind of snail? More important, How deep was that layer of compression directly in front of her, between her and the front gates of the castle? How hard would it be to go through it, to get inside the castle? Did she want to walk through? Would she be compressed? Maybe this was a bad idea? If she just threw the knife toward what certainly looked like a curtain of faintly shimmering water, would he eventually get home? Oh, but there were books inside the castle, all the books she might ever need. Answers. Information. Guidance, perhaps, as her inborn magic finally awoke. Fang, what do you think? She kept her voice soft, afraid of catching the attention of something that might be watching and listening, perched among the shadows behind those crenellated walls four stories high. The towers on all four corners. How many corners did this massive castle have? Eight? Ten? "'enough to give an impression of roundness. "'Oh, don't be afraid!' "'The knife wriggled again, "'and Ash could have sworn he muffled a giggle. "'You're welcome here. "'Can't you hear the song now? "'The castle likes you!' "'Ash bit back her retort of, "'How do you know?' "'With a sighing sound, the drawbridge lowered. "'Beyond them, massive double doors "'at the top of a short flight of stairs swung open. "'Darkness inside for a few heartbeats.' until torches flickered into life. They reminded her of the lanterns in Cecil's cottage that lit when they were needed. That similarity wasn't comforting. The drawbridge made her look a little closer. Yes, there was a moat. How did the moat travel with the castle? Did the water slosh as it moved? Her head ached from all the questions swirling through her mind. She supposed the massive, strange magic that allowed the castle to move through the enchanted forest was complex enough to handle the moat without any trouble. Yet what good was the moat? Hadn't the knife said he was stolen by thieves? So people could get into the castle, and apparently leave easily enough to take their plunder. What did that say about the castle's defenses? Ash had the awful feeling she hadn't asked the right questions, or enough questions, What do you think, Fang? The bunny turned to look up at her, then back to the castle, then back to her. His ears twisted rapidly, so they were almost a blur. She had grown to understand his expressions well enough, even in the shadows of the hood that protected him from the light. Fang wanted to go in. Of course, he was slightly insane to begin with, so could she really trust his judgment? Did she have a choice? When Fang bounced forward, Ash followed muffling a sigh. Please, Athiosius, if this is foolish, if this is dangerous, give me a warning sign before I go any further. She held her breath, ears straining for a voice calling not to go in, a flash of lightning, maybe even for the drawbridge to creak upward and the massive double doors of the castle to slam closed. None of that happened. On the positive side, She felt nothing as she passed through that wall of magic that wavered and wobbled like the surface of a pond. Ash had to consciously keep her eyes open, and not hold her breath as she stepped up to and into and through it. Nothing. No sting of magic at work. No sensation of resistance, perhaps floating for a moment, like a speck of dust or lint on the surface of the water before it sank. We hope you enjoyed today's chapter. For more information on all the books and series featured in this podcast, or to purchase the ebook or audiobook for future reading and listening pleasure, please visit yeoldragonbooks.com. You can also find more information about our books and purchase ebooks on our Patreon page, Ye Old Dragons Library. Please consider supporting the podcast. To gain access to free stories or discounts, or a chance to purchase a new book in advance of release. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ye Old Dragons Library.